I'm Eleanor. And I'm Jeremy. And, and we're, we're a young, young bookseller and an, an old bookseller. bookseller. Thanks for joining us on the podcast tonight. We are discussing a novel by Sarah Gailey. And the name of their novel is... The Echo Wife. The Echo Wife. Previously, they had written Magic for Liars and When We Were Magic and Upright Women Wanted. It was firmly in the science fiction category on the Locus recommended reading list. And there was a review that was published at NPR. And what was the the Old West Hippos in the Mississippi... I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't sure of that title, so okay. I wasn't going to speak. All right. You, you don't have to leave that in if you. God. Okay. Fucking. Take a breath. Take a breath. Or take some drugs. <laughs> take some drugs. Previously, Sarah Gailey had written a short story called Stet. And they had described this story as an examination of how people, women in particular, are expected to suppress emotions like grief for the sake of professional objectivity, which is itself already a myth. On one level, this is a story about grief. On another, it's about a woman refusing to have her grief silenced. And when I read that quote from them, I was struck by how the themes of this novel, The Echo Wife, was similar to what they described as being the themes of that story. I haven't read that story. Okay. But I like that you tied that in. Thank you. It did really jump out at me because the voice of the main protagonist... Evelyn Caldwell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to... I'm trying to be emotionless. (laughs) How's that working? Really well. In the professional capacity, I was yeah. trying to not portray. Okay, it's not funny. So the open, the entire book is told from Evelyn's point of view. Yes, and the opening chapters hit really hard because she's narrating uh, an experience where she's getting an award at a professional function. Sure. And the interior monologue, as she describes, both what she does and how she controls herself in public in this professional setting kind of catalogs all the things that she has done throughout her career and so those themes are really kind of placed front and center at this novel right out the gate even before we get a sense of what the fantastical or science fictional portion of the narrative is she's a scientist that's all we know in the opening chapters so we already covered some of the stuff that sarah are you just not gonna talk at me tonight? Like I'm, 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 I'm. Into, I didn't have this information. I don't have the same. Okay. Sheet as you. All right. So. <laughs> books are being packed in the background. Jude assured us that, like, she was going to be doing. I think you're nervous. That. I think you're nervous that Judas here. No, no, I'm not. Look, what is Echo Wife about? It is about creation. What is the synopsis? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. I was like, man, we're just 
just gonna go right to it. Oh damn! I gotta put my big boy pants on here in a minute. It's about creation. <laughs> Jesus. Mostly. Okay. Okay. Oh. Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. <clears throat> so Echo Wife is the story of a scientist. It's the story of creation. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to go off. <laughs> Look, if you pass out, Jude's doing CPR. Alright, so. Echo Wife. Echo Wife. Is about Dr. Evelyn Caldwell, who is a genetic researcher who is growing human clones. Yeah, her work. She is. So she's dealing with human cloning. And her big breakthrough is that she has a way of imprinting memories and feelings and emotions onto the developing brains of these clones. And there is a lot of kind of fuzzy science to show the limits or um, how far they can go with this. But really, it's a device to set it's a MacGuffin to set up the ability to create, you know, what pop culture thinks of as clones or twins or a copy and there's a research institute that is funding her research. And what happens to Dr. Evelyn Caldwell? Well, when we first meet her in the first chapter, when she's receiving the award, people are asking, what happened to your husband? And we find out that she has been recently divorced and that he has is engaged to somebody else. And then through, as the narrative continues, we find out that he's engaged to a clone her ex-husband has surreptitiously made a clone of her and ick yes ick martine martine is the name of the clone and distressingly as we find out nathan the husband has had numerous failures before martine you can't give that away this early on well you were just asking us what we were like, I thought we were doing plot summary now. You don't no, want to do we plot are, summary? but that was just an exciting thing. Uh, I mean, I, I was trying to build... Did you see how I was trying to build it up there? I didn't build you it did. up very good. There wasn't enough build-up. Man, there was a whole novel's worth of build-up, and it was pretty cool because, like... That was, like, the best... That was, like, probably my favorite part. Really? When she discovers them? Yeah, because I was waiting... Like, it was... It's touted as a thriller. Okay. And I wasn't really... Like, it wasn't, like... Interesting. I feel like that was the most thriller-esque. Okay. I, to your point, it definitely was the tension that was started when Martine, when we first discovered that Martine has killed Nathan. It sets up a tension in the narrative where we're wondering, how is this going to be resolved? What really happened? And... There's all these like possibilities that spin out from this initial 
we get the it's a kind of a double whammy because we find out first that she's a clone and then we find out pretty quickly that she goes home and murders Nathan. Well, she's also pregnant. She's also pregnant. But the way it's recounted to Evelyn is he tried to he freaked out because I asked him an un- uncomfortable question and he was going to kill me and I ended up killing him. And that characterization of those events for me was always a big question mark. Like, really? He tried to kill you? And so for me, the much later in the book when we reveal how many other clones he's actually yeah. gone through, that answered that question. Oh, he does regularly kill these clones of his wife that he's been growing, and this isn't the first one. It was like the twelfth one. She was thirteen. Right? Lucky number thirteen. Because it was an A name for the first one and a B name for the ooh, second one and I a didn't, C name. I didn't I forgot about that. Yeah, but yeah. It was ew. pretty creepy. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But the quite I mean, he got angry at Martine and tried killing her because when so Martine shows up on Evelyn's doorstep being like, Hi, I'm the woman <laughs> that your husband is, has left you for and you not even it? maliciously. Yeah, she was like, Can we just talk? Yeah, can we just like hi, I'm Martine, your genetic code. Um, but she Evelyn's response was, What are you for? Right. And I think that that's what Martine said, like, what am I for? And I think that that was a little bit too much. Well, and also she had, she, when she described it, she had made it, what if I didn't want to have a baby? It was like the first question. Oh, is that what she said? I believe she had like, and because then when she was talking to Evelyn, she Mm. said, I didn't even mean that I didn't want it. I just wanted to know. Yeah. And so it was a, a created being asking her creator. Mm. about agency about free will do i have free will or do i just exist to do your bidding at your command without any free will and when she asked him that he was like ah screwed up again and went to kill her but we don't know that that's actually what happened or you know suspect that that's actually what happened there was for me as i was reading it i was like okay that's what she's saying but did she come home mad? And that speaks to what's at the crux of some of the plot points in this novel is the conditioning factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was trying to make a wife that was conditioned to be different from his actual wife or from his first wife in very specific ways. Yeah. Like submissive, non-questioning, mm-hmm. not as dominant. And willing to be a mother... Yeah, because, I mean, a huge thing in the book is that Evelyn did not want children. And uh, right before, like, when they were still dating, she had gotten pregnant and decided to get an abortion. And he was not thrilled with this. And I think was holding out hope that maybe she would. And this was when they were already married, or it was when they were first living together. But it was not early in their relationship. No, it wasn't early in their relationship, but they weren't married. Right. And I guess he came back, thought, because he was super angry, left, came back, and then he proposed. Right, right. Oh, right, right. He proposed in the wake of their big fight. Right. And once again, this is all told from um, Evelyn's point of view, 
in long interior monologues, long that, are, interior monologues. that are sparked by various observations as she interacts with the detritus left over from their relationship that's boxed up in her new apartment or from the broken ravages of what goes on after this clone has killed her ex-husband. Yeah. So it's... It, it was definitely one of those moments where the characters decide, hey, this will solve the problem. And you're like, wait, what? How is that going to solve the problem? Um, so Martine kills Nathan. And Evelyn is worried because... Yeah, she's not like, she's worried oh no, about my her... husband's dead. She's like, my okay, career. fuck, my research is going to be ruined and I'm not right. going to lose funding. If this clone went rogue and went against her conditioning and killed somebody, that could impact my funding and my research. And so that, I think, is an important driver because there's another turning point in the book or another big crux where, once again, she's like, my research... And she does something that sacrifices her essential humanity in order to continue that, you know, to not have that work, that research, that thing that she has come to identify herself with. And so being defined by her work. I mean, she's completely defined by her work. Yeah. I mean, I... hmm. What are some what are some things that you enjoyed about reading this book so i really loved 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 all the frankenstein um kind of symbolism that was going on like throughout the book she describes herself as monstrous or says that she's not monstrous and there's these constant references that kind of are reminiscent of Dr. Frankenstein and the story of like the creation of life. And so I loved that portion of it. Um, I loved actually the tension between like when we were given a given an account of what happened to the husband and, you know, and Martine, what happened between them. And honestly, the tension of, Is that real? Because throughout the narrative, this clone who is very infantile when it, when, with Evelyn first sees her, it's clear that she's like a, you know, intellectual giant, very smart. She's like, okay, well, I'm a year old, so I'm learning. And there's this process of character growth. And every time she was kind of like a reverse flowers for Algernon, every time she got smarter, I was waiting for like the 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 light switch to flip and her killing Evelyn. I yeah, I was waiting for that the entire right. the entire book. Like right. I was like, you were oh like, when shit, it- Martine is about to snap. <laughs> and she's well, I was like, maybe she was gonna take over her life or something. Because it was yeah. set up in the narrative where Evelyn was making a lot of comments about like nobody noticed when we replaced Nathan. Sorry, because that gets back to the plot point we never got to, mm. which was the solution to your problem of the dead husband is, well, fuck, let's just grow a new one. Right. And then we'll convince the clone that he's the original and he just had a car accident or something. And we'll tell all of his colleagues that he was in uh, on a vacation and then got in the hospital and now he's back. And he'll probably figure it out because he's just a college professor. And so 
it was like one of those, is this going to work? Yeah. Things where you didn't know enough about the, the, the technology to gauge, like, that doesn't seem like it could work. No. So it didn't seem like it could work, but it turns out it did. And the, the imprinting process and the imprinting of memories and stuff was such that they could make it work. And the storyline then moved on past that point of the replacement because Evelyn is then talking a lot about like nobody noticed that he was just a copy. And then she starts asking herself, would anybody notice if I was just a copy? Right. Which sets up the narrative tension of like, oh, is that what's going to happen? Yeah. So it was clearly like this kind of like string pulling. It was being threatened. Yes, definitely. It was being nar- threatened narratively. That's a good characterization of it. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the, that part of it, of the sense of how that was going to resolve of whether, which way it was going to go. Yeah. Um, I love the, the, the generational tragedy of um, the abuse, the abusive mm. father. Okay. Um, I like, I love how the, the main narrative um, pull on the, on Evelyn is this desire to not become her father. Like, the I can't that, tell because it was almost it was that, but it was she almost seemed more preoccupied with not becoming her mother. Well, and I think that the way that stuck out to me was she was hyper aware of how she wasn't her mother, and when she basically when she when she moved out when she went off to boarding school, when she was like I'm going to be a scientist, and then her mom was like like your dad. And there was that kind of break in her head. As soon as she, like, stopped interacting with her mother, she was allowed to become her father. And she did. And she quite literally, not quite literally. No, she did literally because become, there was because that she became the father of where she was in Martine. her father's office. Yeah. And she, Martine would come and ask the one question she a fig- week. She, she figurative. Like, I was doing that oh, thing I where see, literally see, meant literally. Oh, okay. okay. That was, I was trying to self-correct there, but I still augured in. Um <laughs> Thank you. Like Goose in Top Gun. <laughs> I've never seen Top Gun. Good for you. You're a better person for it. So so the husband is replaced. Martine's there. Um, so wh- Wow, that was a tiny little twist that I wasn't expecting going back into the plot point of um, Martine and Evelyn kind of through this cloning process of Nathan create a bond they're they sleep in bed together facing away they're living together they've kind of had this unspoken like they're allies and then nathan is complete and they're like oh shit we didn't think about what we were gonna do when you know clone nathan exists and then martine was actually secretly happy that she got him back and i feel like there was a secret like little kind of feeling of betrayal on ellen's part of just being like oh you actually so you, want you them. wanted this yeah. okay and then she's kind of like left alone and you know whatever she has the baby marital bliss yay 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 they kind of made him without some of his quote unquote defects right and then she finds all of these previous bodies in the garden of her previous clones that were failures right and she becomes unwilling to accept this life anymore she doesn't want it even though that clone 
is not the Nathan who did it, which they both kind of discuss. Right. Of like that he didn't do it. That's a completely innocent entity. There was so much that was coming out in that back and forth in the wake of all those dead clones. Yeah. And throughout the whole explanation of the scientific process of cloning, it was made very clear that Evelyn did not see clones as humans. Ever. And she would routinely, like, dispose of the failed experiments, a.k.a. kill these clones. In brutal ways. And then she'd have to dismember them. And so there's very much kind of a Grand Gugnall, um Frankenstein kind of quality to mm-hmm. how she dealt with the body parts. And um, so when she was then confronted with all the body parts of her ex-husband's failed experiments, she was like, yeah, that's a bummer. Okay, let's get these all covered up again. <laughs> and um get husband back into the mix and that was when she decided actually no i am a mother now but i don't want to be the wife to this man because and but it was also that first or it was it it was the 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 culmination of a bit of conflict between uh martine and evelyn concerning the morality yeah. of killing those clones. Because that's the first time Martine looked at her and was like, you're the same. Right. You're just like Nathan. You're, yeah. You dispose of these. Yeah. And so that transference of Nathan being the bad guy, and it was, they were trying to, she wanted to kill him and kill the clone and just say like, yeah, sorry, he dropped dead. And get on with their life. But that would raise all sorts of questions like sure. who's going to pay for you to like raise this kid and you can't just live here unless you have somebody going off to work. So I don't even think those questions were asked. And that's part of that's part of it. There was a certain amount of angst that Evelyn had about like if the Nathan clone just dropped dead. And part of it was, well, he didn't morally he doesn't morally deserve to be killed because he didn't do this technically. Which is the first time she even has a thought like that. At yeah, all. which is the first time she put morality into it. And right. that was kind of, you know, one of the one of the questioning points I had. But ab- about like did I really believe that part of the narrative? Mm-hmm. And but it did make sense of like if he just drops dead, there's a bunch of more questions that will threaten my research. So, yeah. So the solution, when she says, I don't want to live here anymore, I can't live here anymore, we should just kill him, Evelyn says, no, wait, I got an idea, we'll fake your suicide. And they go through the whole process of digging up the most recent clone, which because of some soft, fuzzy science, hasn't decomposed, they get it to pass as somebody uh, who's died from a hanging. But through that whole process, there's this disconnect where um, Martine is like, okay, well, now I'm going to get my baby and go. Right. And Ev- and Evelyn is like, you were never going to be able to take your baby. No. And that right there was the conflict that was the hardest to believe that Evelyn would be able to get Martine to leave her baby. But at the same time, it's that plot point about the conditioning. Can the clones overcome their conditioning? And 
Evelyn, the setup in the narrative, Evelyn would occasionally use, you know, you know, basically the, you know, the Dune magic voice to control Martine would, would basically like get her to fall prey to her conditioning and, and be submissive and go along with what was demanded of her. And Evelyn very consciously makes the decision of like, am I going to manipulate her into going along with this thing that's going to destroy her emotionally? Yes, I am. And she essentially forces Evelyn to abandon her baby. And that was like the hardest for me to be like, was the conditioning really that like, I didn't get that the conditioning was that strong that Evelyn would be able to do that to Martine. Interesting. See, I had the opposite interpretation of she was toying around with the idea that even with the conditioning, that perhaps personality was something that went deeper and that ultimately Martine took a selfish choice. Oh, because it was essentially her own selfishness. Because mm-hmm. it was her. Right. Okay. All right. Probably yours. It could be a combination. Right. But that's kind of what, I mean, that's what I think that she was, was dawning on her was, oh shit. Like I thought that my conditioning, like you could control certain aspects of the fuzzy science but as she realized, Martine became oh, more yeah. and more independent and yeah, she became no. smarter and smarter and she was asking questions and she was making decisions on her own. And there were these like conditioned parts, but ultimately I think she really started okay, to so see herself. So getting over her conditioning and forcing her to get over her conditioning was that selfishness to like save yourself instead of... Because ultimately she did. Martine was like, I can't fucking stand this life. Right. The thought of being with him... And so she chose that over the condition choice. And she ultimately chose choice herself of... twice because she technically had just called Evelyn a monster, but she still chose herself, a.k.a. that side of monstrosity over right. being controlled. So she ultimately still chose not being controlled in freedom over a domestic life. Right, right. No, no, you're absolutely right on that point. Thank you. I That was actually one of the sticking points for me. Um and then that goes to the the sistering slash doubling. Um, you had mentioned earlier um, about how Evelyn doesn't see images of her mom in herself, but she very clearly saw her mom in Martine yeah. from their first or meeting. No, she's trying to flush herself out because part of her father like hated all these ticks and the submissiveness mm-hmm. of her mom, and that's everything she didn't want to be. Right. And then Martine was. A lot of Martine's qualities were like you're. You're right. She kept saying, "Oh, this is my mother." I thought that they were going to say that Nathan had programmed her mother's personality somehow oh, into right. her, but that I don't know where I was going with that. But it, it it's interesting that when Nathan programs his idealized version of Evelyn, it's like more of the mother's characteristics, right? More of the woman who submissively stood by and accepted abuse for like 12 years until she also killed her husband right. and buried him in the garden <laughs> i know like i love that little bit of circular awesomeness yeah and also during the um course of the narrative there was a sense of are we gonna find out if evelyn killed her dad or if her right. mom killed her dad like there is a enough of a a hint that it could go go either way. I remember wondering if if it was going to be, you know, if you killed your creator, that would, if she, if she killed her dad, that would be really like 
linking but that was a different story where martine ended up killing evelyn yeah so neither one of those things happened nope. in echo wife nope okay that's okay <laughs> so the other things that i liked were the um um the betrayal motifs okay uh with her assistant um yeah. because saeed was able to betray her and chose to betray her because she was able to ignore him she was just like, nope, you're just competent. I don't ever have to think about you. Except she almost cared about him more than her own husband. Well, she was more was the... betrayed by Saeed yeah. than her own husband's betrayal. Because she was constantly having to think about and take care of her husband. Right. And so that was one of the things that kind of led to their like, well, I didn't want to be with you anyway kind of moments. Was she constantly had to manage him. And the thing that she liked about Saeed was... Well, she wanted to be able to forget her husband. And the thing that she liked about Sayed was... Sayed was... The thing she liked about Sayed was he was able to forget and he would just be that competent thing. And so that's kind of a a reverse or a flip of what Nathan was trying to get with his his cloned companion. Like yeah. he was trying to create his own Sayed. Kind of. She did in a, in a way, but she still got betrayed. And she got way. betrayed by both. Yeah. Um, and so that's fun. Yeah. Um, so I like that part. Um, but what were the parts of the book that you found compelling or interesting? I liked part. I liked a lot of um, like aspects of her inner monologues. Just kind of the way that she wrote them, just in this really like dry, <laughs> angry sort of observant. Yeah. I really enjoyed them. Like I, I, I think you sent me a quote. I can't, I don't know if you have it. Do you remember which one it was? I think you texted oh, it to me. Yeah, it was like I just feel like the way, just the way, like at the very beginning, you would mention that she was. Um, at the banquet and she said twice in my life now I've buried myself in finery twice I've arranged myself in a great complication of fabric to prove that I understand the importance of the moment like I feel like she's just constantly like just throwing down these like absolutely like wild observations and I really enjoyed reading that um it was fun for me and I liked um I felt like this was a really easy book to read I didn't, it didn't snag my brain in any places. Like it was just one that I could kind of, because of the fun, the fuzzy science, I didn't, I just right, kind of zipped. I just kind of zipped right through it. And I enjoy, sometimes I enjoy having a book that is just one that I can sit down and read. Okay. Um. Oh, the phrase that I sent you, I think was um. when Evelyn characterizes Martine as a bell jar of domesticity. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was so perfect. Yeah, I just, I think she has a, I, I liked those sorts of little snippets in yeah, her writing. Is, I love, I just thought that they packed a punch and I was like, yeah. They very much did, yeah. I fucking get that and I like them. Um, I, I was kind of. I keep trying to go into the challenging part, you know, the challenging yeah, part. Yeah, hit so it. I, Let's hit it. I just kind of, I guess the only thing, not the only thing. Okay. The, 
not the fuzzy science, but there is this element during this book where I was just like, where the fuck is this going? Like, how is this going to work? Yeah. It wasn't even the science. It was just like, for me, how like the are question they I have. Pass? How are they going to raise a kid? Well, yeah, not even There's that. There's no like, IDs. Even There's... when she's at the banquet. Yeah. And she's talking about how Nathan's left her for the, or not at the banquet, but at some point you realize she, Nathan has left her for her clone. Right. And the clone is pregnant, which right. is not supposed to happen. That's actually the biggest threat to her threat research. Threat to her research yeah. is clones aren't supposed to get pregnant. And somehow Nathan has figured out how to bypass this. Right. But the entire time I'm like, I how is this going to work? Like, let's just say that, like, Martine doesn't misbehave and they get married and they, like, eventually someone's going to ask the question, who is she? And she's going to look exactly like Evelyn. So this entire time I'm like, how does he think this is going to work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, how does he think this is going to work? Much less Evelyn herself. She's just like, I understand her standpoint. She's just shocked. She's, like, numb because she's like, oh, I've been betrayed. And I think one of the things I liked about the book was that Evelyn really is an anti-hero in that she really isn't that good of a person at all. Right. Like, she was not a good wife. And that doesn't mean just because she didn't want to have, to have children. Right, no. She did not give a fuck about Nathan. Right, and that was what I was, what I was implying with. Like when I was early, she just wanted to be able to like forget him and not have to think about him. Right. But like she was kind of like this these inner monologues of just like, Oh, I'm betrayed or like Nathan did this or Oh yeah, she was definitely aggrieved and cat in her monologue cast him as the villain. And he was, obviously did some bad shit, but yes, she herself was a monster, as evidenced by the number of times she asked internally, I'm not a monster, am yeah, I? Yeah, and she often she often said... With those those exact like, words. Yeah, she was like, I'm a monster, or, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, or I shouldn't have done that, or I ruined this, or I... She was very, like, self-deprecating, but almost in her, her whining about Nathan, it wasn't even about, like, their failed marriage. It was almost, like, about her and her research... And how it was like almost just a failure in general. It wasn't. I don't. It was more distressing to have to explain that Nathan wasn't around anymore, right. or that they got divorced, rather than that they actually got divorced. Like it was like this cold-hearted observation, like about the couch. Yeah. Like she just got like briefly like spitfire angry over this couch, and it's like she almost was more emotional about that than she was about the divorce of her husband. And I just, I, I liked the fact that she wasn't like a spur, you know, like, oh, I'm a spurned woman. It right. really was like, I kind of enjoyed that dynamic of like, no, really, she was like dedicated to, she was married to her research. That is ultimately the only thing she really cared about. She actually did characterize Said, Said as her partner. Yeah. And like I wrote that down. Partner. I was yeah. like, I wrote that down. I was like, she, and I said this earlier, she was more betrayed and hurt by Saeed's betrayal than her actual husband. Right. And his, I mean, he was a proxy husband for her. He was the idealized version of her husband in the way that Martine was the idealized version of Nathan's wife. Yeah. And so I think it's great that then, you know, uh, Martine betrayed Nathan and Saeed betrayed Evelyn. 
that mm-hmm. actually reflects pretty nicely. I like no, that. No, I do. I do like that. And I didn't even realize that until later. But yeah, no, that, the, the entire time I was a little taken out of the story by. There were practical considerations that nobody seemed to be considering. Like, not at all. I constantly wondered, did Nathan buy a fake ID for Martine? Right. Like, how is she going to do how, anything? How is she getting, like, medical care? Did she, how, how did, did she get she the she prenatal? Birth? How did, did she, she get the birth prenatal? at the hospital? Yeah. How did she get the prenatal care? Because they did talk about. Well, she, she didn't. She did. She went off to the doctor. No, she Planned hadn't. Par- Planned Parenthood. She hadn't been. Evelyn yeah. took her. The, that's because what I mean. Because remember when she, like, started spotting and Martine but was that's, like, oh, but I that's don't know what, But that's what I mean yeah. about the whole practical considerations. Yeah. Were kind of like glossed over narrative wise. Even Martine taking her to see somebody at a clinic is like, who's Martine? Where's her ID? Right. Like they didn't Where's check her, her insurance? Right. Like there was no, no narrative attention paid to practical details. Which stressed me out. But even like the whole, na- like even like the part where, oh, Nathan disappeared. Actually, like let's even go back to the father. You're telling me. I can just murder somebody and bury them in my garden and pretend like if he was he an angry if he, if he was an angry abusive drunk, you probably could get away with it. Sorry, Ryan, but uh, <laughs> um, you could probably end up being buried in the garden. And if anybody collaborated that, like, oh, we probably went on a bender and went off to find a new family, nobody would be surprised. Like that was kind of the vibe I got. But like, about it's, you know, people coming in and being like, you know, taxes. Early. Well, but they did talk about how he was declared dead in Florida after X number of years, and they finally got the life insurance settlement. Like, I get. I mean, I they, understand, they, they, but they, even that, I was just kind I mean, of they, like, they, they, you're they, telling that, me a policeman isn't going to come sniff around. Like, I guess you're right, but then I was like, okay, so so this, this Nathan, the good old days like, when, like they killed Nathan, and then and then like, they're he was like, on vacation. oh, he's on vacation. You're telling. I was like. Okay, I guess I can kind of believe and that. So this it just took me out. It took me out a little bit because the entire time in the back of my head there was a fly going like, and, this and, doesn't and feel I, real. I, I totally agree. That stuff took me out too. Yeah. The, the, the complete and utter focus on not focusing on the practicalities of the narrative mm-hmm. was both the strength and weakness of this book. Yeah. It became parable-like. It became fairy tale like you're totally right it was almost it was dream- a fairy tale it was almost dreamlike it ended like a fairy tale and it ended like a fairy tale by god yes the thing that's kind of hit well, all these lack of practical concerns both from the um kind of thriller aspect like a thriller that refuses to focus on the nuts and bolts of thrilling i.e where's her fake id how are the police right. is she gonna get like the medical care she needs if she doesn't actually have an identity and like all these things that would drive a thriller were absent and it was i really was not hugged by my dad at all and i can't really be allowed to express emotion rather than how can we get martine a fake id yeah and and so that was both its strength and its weakness because yes it was in the back of my head too but one of the things that allowed me to kind of just roll with it was there was also a lack of concern about really lack of concern about monetary issues. Like there, yeah. was, there was a little bit of a fig leaf about like, oh, I have to do the budgets for the research funding people. I'll get around to that. But it was the barest fig leaf of like, and what it really struck me 
was those kind of depression era comedies where like filthy rich people would flounce around and not have to worry about any of the practicalities of mm. eco- like the Phil- it was like the Philadelphia story like if you if you saw um Evelyn as Catherine Hepburn right <laughs> like i don't know in my head canon um Catherine Hepburn from Philadelphia story like is Evelyn i haven't seen it okay anyway but it's a bunch of that was a really it was a really good one too. I really it. believe you. I'm sorry. I <laughs> dog on it. Maybe Jude the um, fairy can agree, but I I haven't seen it. I can look at it later and, okay. and I can tell you. I, but essentially, it was the it was these kind of farcical comedies. I actually these screwball comedies. Yeah. that would take place amongst very wealthy people, and there was never any focus or concern on the practical realities of life. It was about gonzo fun or existential angst or the emotions and the feelings and so the novel very much felt that way except not in a kind of wacky comedy sort of way but in like a melodramatic kind of like it was a dramatization of these like familial and gender roles yeah the whole taking the trope of a of a husband trading in a wife for a better version of that wife you know a second wife that looks the same or whatever has well features. also subverting the expectations of both roles because nathan was the one who wanted the family and oh, yeah. the children and she was the one who was career focused yeah and like him going and basically and so to be able to be concerned with the tr- traditional gen and the opening monologue where she talks about the in professional contexts women are allowed or not allowed to do certain things yeah and it's a very gendered thing it's professional women are forced into these things but men aren't and so the 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 examination of all those gender roles of like even when you get out from under them and you go to a whole new context there's still these weird Mm -hmm. gender strictures that are put in place and that that define Evelyn and that she's come to use to define herself. And she's actually throughout the narrative quite proud of and impressed about her ability to just glad handle and deal with all these like boorish fools, men and women, because she knows what their expectations are. Yeah. And she pays lip service to it only when she has to. And she's hyper efficient with how she does that and stuff, which, you know, is that, great reflection of that's the same way she interacted with her marriage yeah hyper efficient just embarrassed enough to like keep the ball rolling along but she's like oh, the other stuff here is what's important and it took a clone of herself to move beyond that right because it, i feel like with martine she finally was like oh family question mark maybe I don't know. She started to have some feelings, I think, towards Martine. Of, I mean, she clearly did because I actually really like that you reframe this for me. Because when I look at it like a fairy tale or a parable, is that what you said? Yeah. I, it, that makes more sense to me. Because if I can suspend my belief, I can see like the points that were trying to be made. And it actually did end like a fairy tale because ultimately they they faked her suicide. The baby is left behind. 
But then what happens? Nathan comes to the Evelyn. Na- the clone Nathan. The clone Nathan is like, help. I, I can't take Well, this is this where baby. maybe you can help me because this is where my belief was like stretched very thin. Was him being like, I can't actually handle this. I mean, I can't believe a man would do that. Sorry, men. But, but he came to her and was like, I can't handle this. Will you help me raise this baby? Right. And they came to a solution that she would have the baby five weeks and he would have the baby once every six weeks. So it was like five weeks on, one week off, you know, he would have the baby. And so she has Martine at the house where she was raised, where her father is buried. Her mother gives her the house and then they end up happily ever after with the baby coming, which I think is a fairy tale asking so many ways because, again, what is Martine going to do for the rest of her life? There's magically a, a lab pro, like procured out of thin air for Evelyn to work at or she won't be observed. And I think the most ironic thing of all was that after that whole life of avoiding domestic life, raising a child, all of that, she ends up... Her work becomes this child. Her Like, she literally ends up with that, yeah. just with herself, <laughs> right. a.k.a. Martine. And the baby. Like, yeah. she didn't end up having a baby with Nathan, but in a sense, she Martina, did. <laughs> because yeah. then she gets the because baby. Because her work was her... And the responsibility. And she... But she, I think, becomes the male figure. Absolutely. She became her father. Quite, And yeah. she's like the husband. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it would work was when she was allowed to operate as the masculine head of the house, focused on the career woman right it was an interesting little so she became the father husband martine was her wife right and they had a child together right and she was able to just do her work right yeah and and that that once again that like well mom still had the whole familial estate and we'll just move back to that yeah it's very (laughs) (laughs) and that's was another one of those like you know kind of we don't have to really care about the money aspects of the narrative that were reminiscent of some of those kind of depression era yeah. comedies, but screwball, screwball comedies, which I'm a huge fan of. Ugh. But I think this is a great gateway sci-fi book. Yeah. We've used that term before of like, I think that someone who's read a bunch of sci-fi might kind of be turned off by the fuzzy science. Well, but not this... necessarily about the fuzzy science, but I want to go back to that NPR review where the reviewer's like, I was ready for some cool world building. Sure. And this was like the anti-world building. Yes. And it was literally, we are doing stuff that isn't explained and even the stuff that we do have we just need this for thematic purposes, and we're not actually building the world around this yeah. technology. We have this technology for thematic purposes, and I think that's what kind of makes it parable-esque. Yes, but that's why I said like I, I think it's a great gateway book because someone who comes in – if someone came into the bookstore and was like, I haven't read a lot of science fiction – I, maybe I want something yeah. with gender roles or, you know, female protagonist or whatever. I think this would be a great book to recommend because, to your point, it's not too 
hard on the world building or science, but it does bring up these universal questions of personality. What is personality? What is right and wrong? And yeah. what is being alive? Like it, she's it killing asks, these clones. It asks she a ton of really interesting right. moral questions. Yes. It uses the... It's very Westworld. Yeah. It uses the structure of these, um, um, of this technology as like boundaries to pose these moral conundrums. Yeah. Am I really killing people if I created these people yeah. and they're just my So all of these things are like interwoven. The these morality these questions of morality, these questions of gender, these questions of personality, they're all kind of bound up in this really interesting broth that she's made. And it's very much I think, like you said, of the fairy tale quality of it, as opposed to the rigid logical quality of it, yes. is at the forefront. Yes. And so I, I definitely agree that this. I had actually made a note like this would be a a good gateway drug um, for people for a science fiction book for people who don't read science fiction. Yeah. Because it's funny. We were just talking about world building. And I was just describing how, like, I got angry at Star Trek's, like, transporter mm-hmm. because they they would create a technology to solve a plot problem. And the wider implications of that technology were just not applied to the world building. It right. was just ignored. So, like, if you can if you can cure this disease by running the person through the transporter, why do you need doctors? Just run people through the transporter. Hey, problem solved. <laughs> you got a cold? Go through the transporter. But that was never explored. It was just we wanted to solve the problem of like, you know, fixing the plague or whatever that we introduced into the story. And so the science fiction elements as service to plot, I kind of find annoying. Science fiction elements introduced in service to theme, I find more interesting. Okay. And I think that's why... I enjoyed this book quite a bit, but Star Trek annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and done. <laughs> no. Closing no. <laughs> no, that's not it. That's not it. So uh, one of the one of the comps to this book reminds me of the Merwife because it also had that kind of fairy tale quality to it. And okay. it was deeply enmeshed in issues of of gender and motherhood and opposite and opposing versions of those things inside the merwife just the same way that they're um kind of like opposites shown in the echo wife okay what about if someone really liked the morality aspect of what is actually being alive or what's what's actually killing someone what's not Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, because um, I feel like that could be like if someone, because I can see, like I said, I can see someone who doesn't normally read this genre reading and enjoying this book and coming in being like, hmm, this is really interesting. Like the idea that clones, you know, are you being used as like, a, you know, like for their organs or for yeah. like a prop and then being disposed, but... Oh, As yeah, see, so it might be something like Michael Marshall Smith's Spares actually explicitly deals with the morality of cloning as, you know, people as spare parts for their, um, you know. Oh, okay. Um, so 
Spares by Michael Marshall Smith was uh, probably a good comp on that side awesome. of it. Although his thriller is more thriller and less fairy tale. Like he is concerned with the nuts and bolts of like, how are the clones going to get out of their thing and function and exist? Okay. And another way to go on. Oh, or another kind of, though it's not. I, oh, this is, this is, you often see in science fiction, you see these questions of personhood and morality and who we extend personhood to in stories about artificial intelligence and androids. Yeah. And so, you know, you could point to a lot of narratives like that. Um, The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bajagalupi is tied into, um, you know, the morality of is this artificial human a person and what kind of personhood rights are do you afford to an artificial thing which ostensibly is you know alive in certain measurable ways or has its own volition okay and then the various ai uh questions autonomous by annalee newitz <laughs> wait did i get that wrong no i'm just laughing at the way you said it like really dramatic like <laughs> Staring off into the distance like you had all of the knowledge of the universe. Man, you gotta you gotta fake it till you make it, you know. Like just yeah. you gotta strike that dramatic like pose. Hand on the knee, <laughs> looking off into the distance. Looking, Harris, off, looking off into you. the mid distance. Looking <laughs> um, is also concerned with um, artificial intelligence, personhood, and the rights associated um, with who we extend the concept of personhood to. And once again, that gets back to issues of gender. And for how long has society not extended the rights of personhood to women? You know, they were chattel. They were property. What? In a lot of patriarchal cultures, they were. They were the property of their fathers and then the property of their husbands. And so the society did not extend personhood to them. That's all I was going for. I, I was being sarcastic. Like, what? Women were mistreated and treated, like, badly in the past? Uh, I didn't get that at all. Okay. Uh, I was like, no, was they actually like, oh, were. Oh, what? No way. <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. Uh, yeah. I'm fucking around. <laughs> I apologize. So we, so we go back to the issues of personhood again, and that ties into gender. But, yeah, so I think... Um, Cloning is another way to look at these issues of who we are willing to extend rights and privileges of humanity to, whether we're othering people because they're clones or whether we're othering them because of the color of their skin or because of the genitalia they have. Yeah. These things that put some people over there and they are not afforded the full privileges of personhood. And then this narrative kind of, has that cold Franken- Dr. Frankenstein scientist who mm-hmm. has been like butchering, butchering clones for years who develops this relationship right. with her sister-daughter thing. Self. Self. Sister-daughter, self-wife. S- sister-daughter, self-wife, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is icky in all the right ways. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Like yeah. it's it's seriously an uncomfortable read. Yeah, it makes you think about all like the the abuse she suffered yeah. and like 
the the repetition of that abuse across generations and the manifestation of that abuse in her, the way she controlled herself. Ugh. Like, just the unflinching look at that abuse and the results of that abuse was was hard. And then yeah. you throw in all these, like... I mean, honestly, this is like... This is like a David Cronenberg body horror movie. <laughs> except the novel version of that. Okay. Because... It's not about the body, it's about the psyche. Okay. And it's not a visual movie, it's a novel. So this is like the polar opposite, the inverse of a David Cronenberg body horror movie, maybe? I, once again, do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> you're just so smart. Um, another, another writer who um, this reminds me of quite a bit is uh, Kit Reed wrote dozens of novels and is really kind of a very influential uh, kick-ass author. So any other things you want to say about The Echo Wife? We kind of covered it. I think we covered it. I think I, I really appreciate the, given the abuse and the questions raised and I think coming back to it with this discussion, I appreciate the fairy tale ending. <laughs> It didn't have to. I wasn't expecting a fairy tale ending. Right. I was expecting it to be really sloppy and nasty at the end, but oh, it actually ended like up being like a grand Guignol. Everybody. Yeah, died. I really like everybody the entire dies. time. I was kind of like, like I was braced. I was like, oh, I was like, Martine's about to slaughter all of them. <laughs> um, you know, Eve- you know, I wasn't, and she's going to take over Eve- Evelyn's life. Like I thought it was going to be like sloppy, messy, but it ended up being tied up with a perfect little magical fairy godmother bow and I don't know. I, I think that it was yeah. Great. It was kind of perfect. It was perfect, yeah. Definitely. I loved it. Unreservedly. I know I had to kind of bring you around to that, but I I really loved it. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did. Right on. Well, it's definitely a novel that um, I will be continuing to think about uh, going forward. It is a, definitely one of those brainworms that w- has been wiggling around. Is it echoing it's, inside it's, of your oh. brain? And, and it's funny because, honestly, we had both finished this a couple weeks ago, but just life kept on getting in the way yeah. and we weren't able to do this. Yeah. And so literally for the last two weeks, we've been kind of like not talking <laughs> yeah, to each true. other about this. We've been like, <laughs> every time we like kind of get close to it we're like no 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 no. save it for the podcast yep. don't yep. don't talk about it so yep. I, i'm so glad we're able to kind of come to it without having like polluted each other's initial yeah responses and we're to kind of share like this this is really cool it's really cool thank you 